What a great song that is. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow might be my favorite song on the record, far and away. Um, it's hard to argue with a song that good. It really is. I mean, definitely Paul's best track on the record. I think one of Paul's probably top ten best tracks of all time. I think tomorrow is just perfect for what they were trying to do with this record. This is probably the weirdest comparison any Kiss fan has ever made. But the harmonies on Tomorrow and the vocal harmonies on I've Had Enough, Into the Fire, uh, it's for some reason line up for me because it's Paul doing all this incredible layered vocal acrobatics without mm. overdoing it. Nothing against Paul. Sometimes he, you know, he does the vocals and it's a little, it's a little much. But the restraint and the arrangement and everything about this just works. I don't even mind the keyboards. I know that, that some people flinch about that. But to me, it all just it gels. It goes together. It reaches amazing crescendo at the end. And it's, a, it, like you said, pop perfection. Definitely the pop song on there. Not, not too bad. Like, I don't mind it. Definitely, like, for in around that time, uh, it reminds me of some other bands pop-wise that were there. Not a, not a bad tune. I agree with you guys. This is really a top-notch pop song. Uh, it's, I think, what some of the other songs that Paul wrote on this were was leading to. It's really strong. Ace's riff, which isn't particularly long on this, is very tight. This is a, a really good song. And then we get Ace back again for Two Sides of the Coin. Two Sides of the Coin is actually kind of an interesting song for me. Um my my best friend, um, he bought he worked at a Goodwill for a while, and someone had brought in a copy of Greatest Kiss, so he bought it and put it in his car, you know, because well, being around me, you can't not be a Kiss fan. And uh, we were driving around one day, and Two Sides of the Coin came on, and he was like, "Man, I love this song." And he cranked it, and that song, hearing it again, is what made me go back and listen to Unmasked again after I had dismissed it before. And uh, very very good song. Uh, not as good as Talk to Me, but a very strong showing by his. I would love to hear it live. As I've been listening to these going through as we're discussing and stuff, uh, the Ace Freely songs are the standouts for me on the album, to be honest. Uh, there's not really much more to say. It's, it's a good track. And then we're on to She's So European. She's So European, I really think, is a really good Gene song. I, 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 a lot of people don't care for it. I think it's I think it's another well structured song by him. I think it's for me it's a standout one for it on the album. Uh, I would like to hear him play this with the current band and take it up a notch and heavy it out just a tad. I think it would be really strong. And anything that has Gene scream at the end, uh, it's a done deal for me. I love that stuff. Right? Yeah, it's like uh, I'm an animal. Yes, exactly. She's So European has grown on me a lot since I first heard it. I even remember, I believe, in one of the first podcasts, I I put the song down quite quite a bit. And uh, I I actually don't mind it now. I kind of like it. I think it really fits in with the record. And it's a great song. Not as good as uh, Naked City, but a good showing for the album. For me, this this is the track that, uh, of all the tracks on the album, um, kind of tells the same story as the album cover does, not in terms of, you know, taking off the makeup and all that, you know, like the, the little the storyline of the cover, but more kind of, of a band, uh, a very cosmopolitan band, uh, dining with women in restaurants and kind of, um, you know, meeting this type of girl and, and, and whatnot. 
Um, it just works magically with the artwork, and the, the it, it captures the overall vibe of the record perfectly. It's one of, I think, one of Gene's best songs. I love the keyboards on it. His vocals are unbelievable, too. I don't mind this song, I guess. Uh, I've heard it like it's been in part when I make playlists of Kiss or whatever, and it's been in there, too. It's, it's uh, again, it's, uh, for me, it's not the same as what I was used to listening to, but it's something that I'm not, like, throwing up over anything there um i don't mind it i'll tell you what when you when you put kiss on your i itunes you know or whatever yep. and you're playing yep. the songs in alphabetical order it's kind of a rude awakening <laughs> after she to hear she's so yeah. european <laughs> yeah well it's different yeah it's different but it's not something that i don't i dislike at all like i could say dislike it's one of the you know better ones catchier or whatever what about easy as it seems there was uh, Nikki, and we played this on another show, who did a cover version of this, and where there was a keyboard, she added an electric guitar, and she rocked it. Oh, she did, uh, she did good, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yes, she did. Uh, but this is a really good, good track. Good, good, fun song um, about something a little more serious than most of the song on the album. Songs on the album. Great harmonies on the chorus. Isn't this like really the only like breakup song that and Shandy? Paul did a lot of uh, introspective, like, relationship songs on this album, and he seemed to be going through a lot of stuff, and it it really came out in this particular album. Or it could be that he was just writing a song. No, you know, there's, you, there's, no, there's, there's always two things, two ways yeah. to go by that, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I know, but I, I, this, these ones on this particular album seem really genuine to me. I mean... You know what I mean? Yeah, they, no, they, I, I agree with you guys. There's just lyrics like, you know, what is it like? Uh, I've been your boyfriend for too many years. I've right. Seen, I, you know, I, uh, through wasting my time, I've seen you cry time, about yeah. it, tears. Like, I mean, I know, it, I know, it's, it sounds silly when you say it like that, but it, it shows that he put a little more thought than just correct. You know, Capricorn, she's a cancer. You know, that kind of yeah, thing. or you know, yeah, definitely or keep me thought. coming. Right. Yeah. Well, right. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> but I, I was, think. Does it have that same passion as back, you know, back when they, they were writing Hotter Than Hell and stuff like that? No, no, that I, same passion's there. I think Hotter Than Hell is true, like, unbridled passion. This is more like relationship stuff. Because there's one, you know, there's the, there's both ends of the spectrum. You've, you've got somebody you want to bang and then somebody you want to live with, you know? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. We were we were talking the other day on a message board about uh, the Kiss box set and the uh, God of Thunder came up, which of course uh, J.R. Smalling played drums on. A little yes. a round of applause for J.R. Smalling. Anyway, uh, it, it it says it says in that song, uh, "We make love till we bleed," and and I said, you know. Uh, they they actually make lubricants for that, so you know. So, <laughs> some some sometimes a song is just a song. Sometimes it's biographical. Right. All right. So now, probably one of the the most enjoyable songs on the album, just in terms of getting a good laugh or having a good time, is "Torpedo Girl." It's a great song. It really is. It's not. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It, it really. It's just a fun song. I when I saw Ace in the Wait, he did this as part of a medley and. I welcomed it. It was a great track mm -hmm. to hear. We have a live version of a recent Ace show for Torpedo Girl, and here it is. We put this medley together about a 
thinking of funk the bass does this hammer on of a major third like so it's that little major yeah. third and then the guitar yeah. does a minor third right on top of it which is like it, it creates a little bit of tension there musically and then um you know i think that's ace probably playing every stringed instrument on that song and, and doing a great yeah. job classic ace right right and and, and sure. the, the the sound effect intro of the like the man battle station torpedo uh-huh. very much yeah. like what he did later with breakout you know, yeah. cartoon sound effects. I, I love it. I think it's a great song. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a song that doesn't hold up as well with me. Really? Uh, it, I loved it when I was, I was like a total ace guy. You know what I mean? Right. When I was growing up. But to me, I listened to it and I love the, they love that bass line, but it, it just seems like it's, it's almost a bass line just to have an excuse to have the bass line. It's like, I got this killer bass line. What the hell do I do with it? I know, let's write this song. You know what I mean? Yeah, but here's the thing about that, and here's where I'm going to make people angry, I suppose, but I say this as as a big-time Ace enthusiast. Ace writes songs, I think, on the guitar. Yeah. that's, That's not a bad thing. It's just that I think that what happens when you do that is that it sounds like the songs sound like they were written on a guitar and, and your fingers go to certain places that are very familiar, like boxes on, on guitars. Um, unless you're, you know, Robert Fripp or Frank Zappa or, or, or someone like that. Um, so, so when it's an ACE song, I think it sounds like it was written by a guitarist on a guitar. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Um, anyone else want to chime in on this song? Um, I think it's a testament that Ace at this time is comfortable enough with his songwriting that he's willing to do a lighthearted type song. You know what I mean? He's He's got to a point where he feels strong enough in his writing abilities. He's willing to, to take a stretch with something like this, a little out of the kiss norm. Yeah, it's a and, confidence uh, I think he, he, he pulls it off. I don't, I don't. I, I go with Ken on this. It's not one of my favorites. I don't think it's one of the stronger songs on the album, but I don't know. <laughs> it's it's strong. It, it's it's cool in the fact that he felt comfortable enough to do something like this. And now we've got track eleven, winding up the record, which is "You're All That I Want." Thoughts? Good song. Um, 
not my favorite on the record. I, I love the the harmonies on the chorus. They're they're great. Um, I think the song might be a little too short. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's good. It's it's middle of the road. I think it. I think it's a good ending track. I would have liked to have heard more of the fade out because you know you get Paul bringing that kind of like Ken was saying, right? This sort of Kiss does Motown or Kiss does the Temps or the Four Four Tops, right? I don't like it. To no. me, that's more of a filler for me. Talk I think about- the 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 lyrics are strong, and this is this is going to be a a revealing moment for myself, but I actually stole some of those lyrics and told a girl that I wrote that a poem for her. Oh <laughs> I thought you were going to say you put it in one of your reviews or something. <laughs> no, no, it never made a review, but it, there's, there's a girl in college that uh, I made believe that I wrote most of that. <laughs> yeah. Again, I would have loved to heard one of the Motown type backs do it. Uh, I think it'd be awesome. All right, to great, wrap great up stuff. this discussion really quickly, what I want to know from everybody is, after this record came and did its thing and went, for people who were on board at that time, how did The Elder treat you as a follow-up, an immediate follow-up? So really quickly, Ken, going from this to The Elder. It was kind of a step in the right direction in the fact that, like, you know, you'd hear The Oath, and it was like, okay, this is this is... This is more like it. I remember playing The Elder, and not to make it an Elder show, but I remember playing uh, The Oath to uh, a guy who was a big Iron Maiden fan. He's like, oh, that, that track's okay. Right. But so it, it like the, the credibility was starting to come back in a weird way with the hard rock gang, you know. Right. I was I was okay with the uh, transition from The Unmasked to The Elder, and basically that was because uh, for me – it got away from a lot of the relationship type songs and was bringing back more of a fantasy element that even though it wasn't what kiss was and could be, at least they were getting back towards the fantasy element. I guess, I guess that would be how I want to put it. Elder. No, I never even bothered with it. So by then I was pretty well gone. So it wouldn't have been until like, in around 85, 86 again, starting to come back, you know, the more albums that Bruce is on then, you know. And for that, it was just a couple songs on there. But again, again, I was trying to do my own thing with my own band at the time, so. All right, well, let me, let me ask you guys this. Next year, can we do this again for The Elder? Yes. Sure. Yes. Um, I'm really glad we did this roundtable, and everyone had a lot of really interesting input, so thanks, everybody, for being a part of it. Big thanks to everyone who contributed to the roundtable discussion. Now we have a podcast exclusive, an interview with the man who created the album cover for Kiss Unmasked. Here is our interview with Victor Staben. We'd like to welcome to the podcast acclaimed artist Victor Staben, who is uh, responsible for some amazing artwork. I'm, I'm actually sitting here with your website open in front of me, um, really enjoying this stuff. And it's no surprise because you also painted my favorite album cover. So welcome to the podcast, Victor. Thank you for welcoming me and having me. So you're another New Yorker, right? We've got two New Yorkers on the phone. Where did you grow up? Let's see. 
I grew up the first eight years of my life in Brooklyn, and then I moved to Queens till I was about 20, and then I lived in Manhattan till I was about 40, and then I moved back to Queens for about 10 years or less, and now I live in uh, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. So three out of the five boroughs, not bad. Do you have a preference? Yeah, I like Manhattan the best, but every borough has like its own special magical spot. As an artist, when you were starting out, was Manhattan the place where you felt you could be an artist? Yeah, it was the most natural place to go. It was also a different world. You know, I was there like 1980, and it was very artist-friendly. Now it's very banker-friendly. Right. And uh, so the place was filthy with artists because it was affordable. And I lived in uh, what is considered now a very, very high-priced neighborhood. But when I started living there, it was very reasonable. And you mentioned 1980 as the time when you were sort of uh, starting out as an artist. That's right around the same time. This is the time period when you painted the Kiss cover. I think I wound up in Manhattan around 75 or 76. I was starting out with everything, and everything was very exciting. And everything was very unknown. And about three or four years after I was working as an illustrator figuring it out, I got a call from KISS, and it was a big wow moment. You know, it's very funny because a lot of people will get jobs that maybe they've been working for 20 years or something, and all of a sudden they get a call from KISS, and it kind of makes sense. Right. But for me, it was, uh, oh, wow. It was, (laughs) did I trick them, or am I... (laughs) Better than I think I am, you know? And when they called me, I knew that this was a moment. It was a very exciting time in my life. I was getting some very exciting work. I must have tapped into a vein of what was popular at the time. It was one of the more mature moments in my life. And I would consider my 20s very immature. (laughs) But I knew that if I gave them something great, they would say, okay, let's do the whole thing. So I gave them the initial sketch. Then I got the job. Who was it that contacted you initially? I was contacted by the Howard Marks agency. The art director was named Dennis. He called me up and told me what was going on, asked me to do a particular, the first sketch of 13. And if they liked it, they would buy it. And I said to him, I'm not going to do it in color. I'll give you a line drawing. Imagine my color inside this line drawing. So I really worked hard on the blueprint of the painting of the first initial painting, and they related to it. And, and did he say, did Dennis say how they had heard of you or, or where they gotten a hold of your name? I was advertising in a directory that they were using. It was just an artist directory that was called the Black Book. And at the time, not a lot of people were advertising like that. So right. when they found this particular directory, there might have been maybe 50 people in it or 60 people in it, and they found me. Wow. And, like, subsequent to that, those directories exploded, and you'd have 500 people in it. So sort of at the right place, at the right time, with the right work. Now, going back to that phone call where, where they, you know, you, you made the initial sketches, it sounds like they called you with a concept. Is that right? They had the copy for uh, the cartoon. Right. And they said, they'll leave, like, the first... Part of the sketch was uh, leaving the backstage door. We need you to create a backstage door environment. Fans are screaming. Kiss is coming out of the door. What are you going to do? Right. There was no real visual sketch. It was just like, this is your setup. Fill in the blank. And you had reference photos or, or images to go with? 
No, not really. I just knew what they looked like from other album covers, and uh, I posed my friends. Well, you know, one of the things that always intrigued me uh, about the album cover, and there's, there's several, but one of the things that I really liked, especially when it came out, you know, we didn't know what they looked like. Right? And that was sort of the, the gist of the, of the cartoon and the joke and the title. But there are, there are images in, in the cover of the members of KISS kind of covering up their faces. Yeah. Knowing now what they do look like, it, it looks, looks like, like them. them. Yeah. Well, I use them. Okay, so afterwards, you, I guess I think, you must have... I think Gene has a red bandana on. Right. And you can see it's his eyes. And, you know, it wasn't really hard to, like, just suggest that this is where his face gets cut and this is where his nose is, you know? So right. it's kind of funny that you notice that. Nobody ever asked me that before. I mean, that was something that was really remarkable just about the whole Kiss Mystique. They managed to hide for so long. You really did look at the album cover. <laughs> I, uh, guilty as charged. Okay. <laughs> Now, um, was, was this your first kind of foray into comic art, or were you someone who liked comic books and did some of that before? I did not do a lot of comic art, but the piece that they saw that uh, attracted them to me was I got a job to do a picture of somebody in the style of Prince Valiant, which was a comic from the 30s and 40s. Oh, yeah. And Prince Valiant was descending a staircase inside of a circular turret or something and he was holding a torch and basically I created a cartoon character that I rendered in the same style that I did the Kiss album cover Mm -hmm. but I hardly had ever done that before but to me cartoon characters are paintings that are not painted in like in the Renaissance when they did a drawing they called the drawing the cartoon I actually never read comic books as a kid I really have a deep I have a deep appreciation for how well they're crafted and how well they're designed right. and how much talent it takes to make them. And I never thought I was talented enough to actually even do cartoons. I think the people who do them are amazing. And they gave me a cartoon job. Go figure. Yeah, it worked out well, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> now, had you heard their music? Were you a fan or familiar? I am not a Kiss fan. I'm sorry to expose myself this way. but Well, just between you and me, you're not the first guy on our show to say that <laughs> yeah did you get a chance to hear the record afterwards yeah i heard the record once <laughs> i said i have to play this right and uh you know i put it in my record collection somewhere i don't know if i still have it so. who was the model for that pesky reporter i worked with a with a friend of mine from high school who is probably one of the best artists i've ever met in my life his name is mark samuels and he designs he, he, at that point in his career, was designing characters like 20 a day. Wow. He would just draw constantly, and his sketchbook had characters in it. And I said, look, this is a cartoon job. You're always doing cartoons. I have to do 13 paintings in the next 30 days. I need help designing them. And he designed most of the – I designed the first panel. Right. I designed the poster panel. Right. Totally. And he designed everything in between. And maybe I sort of looked at things and said, well, let's do this and let's do that. But he did the bulk of the designing. I did all the painting. Gotcha. And and we had somebody else named Jose Rivero who was working with me who helped me do underpainting. And so we had three guys in a room 
doing this album cover, and it was due within 30 days. No, and I... so he designed that character. Okay. It was, the initial, it was like one of the initial uh, elements that he threw out at us. Well, at that, at, he showed it to me. We agreed on it. We showed it to Kiss. They liked it. Did he also design the ladies that they're dating? Mm, those ladies. It's sort of like a photo reference that we found. And I think I drew them in. They're not that stylized. Right. They kind of look human, you know? Right, right. That guy looks like he was sort of squeezed out of a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> Howdy doody. Yeah, he's just so strange looking. Now, I, I, I will have angry listeners if I don't ask you this question, okay? So this is a very KISS-specific question, but it pertains to the artwork. Um, did you paint Peter Chris winking? Yeah. Were you aware of what that meant at the time, or are you aware now? Are you aware of what it meant at the time and what it means now? Well, there's a well. There's one meaning that kind you of. You tell me. Around. You tell me. You show me, and I'll show you. <laughs> okay. I'll I know why I did it. Okay. The 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 sort of the the pop theory is that Peter Chris is winking because he is not on the record. Uh, I think he is on the record. No. That's Anton Fig on the drums. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no Peter. He was winking because I had a conversation with the art director. I, I thought he was leaving the group. Yep. And I thought that, uh, I didn't know that he wasn't on the record, but I thought he was leaving the group, and he was winking, and that was his way of saying goodbye. And I thought of that. Right. Okay. And I didn't know that he wasn't on the record, but the funny thing about the wink is that he's the only one winking. That's right. And rock and roll bands and this this is just not specific to Kiss, it's generic to rock and roll bands. Nobody wants to be in front of the other guy. Nobody wants to be painted smaller. Everybody wants to make sure that they have the same amount of real estate on an album cover. Everybody wants to be painted the same. And I said to the art director, let's make him wicking. And he said, well, we can't unless we hide it from the group and just put it in the album at the last minute. And they were in a hurry to get the album printed. They were waiting for the artwork. It was already pressed on vinyl. And they probably saw it the day it was going to the printer and said, okay, this is what we have to work with. And whether they wanted it or not, we gave it to them. Did you ever get any feedback about it? Not from them. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's an amazing story because yeah, it's not on the cover, but it's on the it's on the inside. And I guess um it maybe oh, it's, not, it's not on the cover? It's on it's only I think it's only in the poster. It's in the poster. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that that means they probably wouldn't have passed uh what's the word I'm looking for? The They wouldn't have passed the other three guys in the group. I don't, you, know what work you, I don't know what word you're yeah. looking for, but it wouldn't have been accepted. Right. It wouldn't have been acceptable to the other three guys in the group. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, as far as the cover goes, this is an opportunity for me to be mercantile. The covers came in the album folded in quarters, right? right. I don't know if you got the original poster that way. That's right. But I went to the printer, and I got like a couple of hundred copies of the poster not folded. And for quite a while, I was uh, 
wrapping up birthday presents with these posters because they weren't collector's items at the time. I had a stack of them. You could probably buy them for like $5 or something. And I wasn't actually in a position where I could sell them because they weren't worth enough to really advertise. But now I have 10 left. And they're not folded. They're all signed by me. And because of the Internet, every once in a while, somebody finds me and buys one, and I'm selling them for $200. Wow. So if anybody wants one and they hear this podcast, they are really a collector's item because I don't think you could find them unfolded unless they came from me at this point. No, that's true. Yeah, so. You heard it here first, folks. Victor Staben is selling his artwork. Unfolded. Yep. Unfolded. Un- I'll put it in a tube. Just email me, and uh, we'll talk about payment. Unmasked, unfolded. Very cool. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be fair if we just talked about KISS because uh, you've got a lot of other stuff going on. I was looking at some apperceptive acetina and zooid. Apperceptive acetina. Yes. Tell us about apperceptive acetina. I did an ABC book for a cross audience. I initially did it for my three-and-a-half-year-old, who's now seven, and... Instead of using words that everybody knows, I read 4,000 pages of dictionary and came up with alliterations like apperceptive, achatina, bifoliated bonito, <laughs> cowchuck oil, cowchuck oil, chelonia. And these words actually exist in the dictionary. And they're all a little bit of a tongue twister. But an example, uh, apperceptive is the mind's ability to look at the mind from outside of the body. And it's a sort of a metaphysical way of experiencing your own consciousness. Right. And an achatina is a giant African snail. So I did an illustration of a snail inside a living room scene because of the size of the furniture that the snail is surrounded with. You can see that the snail is about five feet tall, looking in a mirror. And the reason why the snail is looking in a mirror is because he has self-perception. He's, he's apperceptive. He's, yeah, he's apperceptive. Anyway, the book goes on. But if you go to victorstatement.com, you can see the book, which is called Dadle Doodle. And the other series I have on my website is called The Turtle Series. I did a series of paintings that are oil paintings that I'm working on as we speak and the icon that holds them holds the paintings together are is there's always a turtle in the painting and the uh i would just say it's allegorical biographical and narrative right and instead of using people sometimes i use turtles as substitutes for people now i saw turt i mean it, it, there's so much fantastic artwork and so much of it is surreal and and it's stuff that you could look at for a long time and, and really enjoy i saw i saw turtles i saw elephants and then i saw that you're that you're helping endangered species do you want to talk a little bit about that i had lymphoma about 10 years ago and it took oh. about 2 years to cure and i didn't know if i was going to make it and i said well you work as an illustrator but you always want to be a fine artist you better start now give yourself an assignment so I thought to myself, I want to do my own series of turtle paintings, and I started doing it. And as I started doing it, I just thought to myself, you always lived in urban environments. Uh, all, all these paintings have, like, wildlife in it, and why are you doing this? And I started to investigate it. I started to read the work of E.L. Wilson, who talks about animals and humans sharing 
genetic memory. Hmm. Within the last 200 years, because of the Industrial Revolution, we've been able to like step aside from our relationship with the animal kingdom. As I'm reading E.O. Wilson, I was at a national preserve in Virginia. It's called Assateague Island. And they had an endangered species turtle chocolate bar. And I'm doing these turtle paintings, right? And every chocolate bar that they sell that has a leatherback turtle on the wrapper of the chocolate bar, uh, a section of the money goes to endangered species protection. That's very and cool. I, and I thought, well, I could do the same thing with my artwork. Every print that I sell from this series, I'm donating, a, I'm tithing a tenth of it to endangered species programs like the Sierra Club, right. for instance. And that's a very cool uh, you know, thing to be contributing money to. And um, you know, it, sounds like, it sounds like the lymphoma experience, as, as scary and horrifying as it could be, was also a, a chance to be kind of a springboard for you. It was it was a real kick in the pants. Right, I <laughs> it really was. And I look at it now because, I, I mean, I look at it differently than I look at it then. It's, it's in my past. Um, the doctor who helped me get through it said, he never sees it come back. He goes, if you can get through this treatment, we don't think it comes back. And I didn't take his word for it, so I looked it up, and there's a 90% success rate. So... Chances are I'll have a normal life, whatever that means. It gave me the opportunity to see the virtues of authorship as opposed to working as an illustrator. And so now I'm doing my own work. There's more satisfaction in doing it. For our listeners who, who love art, and many of them do, where can they see what you're up to now and what are some things for us to look forward to? You can go to victorstatement.com. I have a gallery. Well, what I actually, what I have is a 15,000-square-foot building in Pennsylvania that has a restaurant in it, it has galleries in it, it has gift shops in it, and it has workshop space. And I have different artists from the New York and Philly area starting to come up here and give workshops over the summer. It's the Carbon County Cultural Project, T-H-E-C-C-C-P dot org. Yeah, it's a great website. We'll, we'll, we'll be sure to have a link to it on our okay. notes, our show notes on our website. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate it. On behalf of everyone who's listening and everyone who's enjoyed your art and, and uh, you know, the fabulous KISS record cover, thank you so much for being a part of Kistery and a part of our show. Hi, Gary, you're a terrific interviewer. Uh, thank you for calling me. Anytime, and uh, please come back if you have any projects that you want to uh, publicize. We are at your disposal. Okay, great. Take Thanks care. a lot. Bye-bye. Okay, it's a compliment. Thank you. Bye-bye. So what did KISS have to say about this record when it came out in 1980? Let's hear some interview clips on that very subject. Your new record is, is quite different from your old ones. What is it that has changed in the group to make this so different? Well, why do you think it's different? That's what I'm curious about. I have only heard it once yesterday. It seems more quiet, more mature, um... Well, I don't, I don't know. I think you're more interested in, in, in the words and in, in the message than just in... Well, we had some things to say this time, I think. Mm -hmm. not, that, not that we didn't have things to say all these other times, but I think we... Songs like Naked City really talk about the kind of city that we live in, and uh, we have different perspectives, different viewpoints, I think. But also, 
what you have to consider is that you can be kissed for 15 albums and then every once in a while you do something different. And the only thing that we considered when we sat down was which were the best songs. That was it. We didn't think about the kind of songs they were, if they were fast or slow or loud. None of that was very important. It was just the best songs that we had. So what you hear is what we are like now. How long did it actually take you to cut this album? About two and a half months. Two and a half months of actually recording when most of the albums took about uh, oh, three weeks to a month and a half. Music from your new album, let's talk about it. Uh, it's not so hard, Rocky, uh, as the things you've done before. If you're a, a super group, and I think if you've been around as long as we have, you know, when you've, you've been as popular as we've been for seven years, you constantly are influenced by what's going on around you, and hopefully you reflect the changes in music, not necessarily forfeiting what your identity, but bringing in some of what you've uh, been influenced by. So, sure, when everybody was doing disco or dance kind of music, sure, it affects us. When people are doing more rock and roll, we'll do more of that. We'll never lose sight of what Kiss is, but at the same time, I think when you, you stop changing, you're I think in the last uh, two years, we went through a period where we didn't really know exactly what we wanted to do. We started to listen to people, to producers, to managers, and we're through doing that. Uh, Kiss on Record is going to be a hard rock band, yeah. Disco music, you don't have any ideas of making that kind of music? Nope, no more. Why not? It's a phase you go through. Um, in 1978, we, we were going out to dance, and we enjoy doing that, but uh, it's not something we enjoy recording. It's not the kind of music that we like to do. So that's our show, and rather than do our usual closing credits with Escape from the Island, what we wanted to do is uh, play something that James was telling me about. James, you had this awesome uh, cover version. Tell me what this is. Okay, uh, I've heard people talk about these for a while, and a couple months ago I decided to go out and check them out. There is an album of covers done by an artist named Satin released in 2006 from Norway as a free download on the internet and all of his covers he covers a lot of Kiss songs are really incredible and Shandy is no exception so tonight being the 30th anniversary of Unmasked that we're celebrating I figured we could play Shandy to close out the show yeah and this is from 2006 and so what we want to say uh, is thank you to all of our friends and listeners all the people on the websites especially Kiss Fact the Detention Hall, Kiss Online, all the solo websites for Gene, Paul, Tommy, Eric, and the rest of Kiss. And, of course, a big thanks to Paul Stanley. Gene Simmons. Ace Fraley. Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent. Bruce Kulik. Eric Singer. Tommy Thayer. And the memory of the late, great Eric Carr. And the late, great Mark St. John. You are Kiss. And we are your army. And this is Shandy. Yeah.